You're listening to a podcast from Billingshurst Family Church, a radical church family in Billingshurst and beyond. For more information and media content, please visit www.b-f-c.org.uk or connect with us on Facebook. Here we go. All right. So if your ears are hurting, I'm really loud because uh, I'm an American uh, and we're all loud uh, is what the stereotype is. I feel like when I came over here, the stereotype of us is that we're loud and unhealthy, that we all eat McDonald's and everything like that. Does anyone feel like that about Americans? Yeah? Okay. Just wanted to check that out. Um, first things first, uh, my name's Coleman Collins, and I'm from America. I'm from Georgia, uh, which is in the south. is above Florida, which everyone knows. is where Disney World is, where all your dreams come true. Uh, and my wife and I and our little daughter, Anne, uh, if you saw them running around, um, we are here for a year. So I want to just share a little bit about our story. Uh, we have been in church all our lives, um, have been in really solid Bible teaching churches, but uh, over the past couple years have really seen in the Word, as we studied the Scriptures, that there's something more to the Holy Spirit. There's something more than just studying the Bible. The, the Word has an impact on us, and it has an impact on us because we have God living in us, right? And, and as we've been learning that, we've been trying to figure out what, what does that look like in the church. And so uh, through a crazy turn of events, God called us to come over here for a year. Um, we met uh, Guy and Heather Miller at a conference and randomly just a, just a thing of the Lord, and they invited us to come over. So we're here for a year. We're halfway through, and we're just now getting the hang of England. We love the summer and the sun. I didn't think you had a son over here after the winter. So you do. I see that you do now. Uh, it's not today, but most days, which is great. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so we're over here. And, and the reason that I wanted to share with you a bit of my story uh, is because story is really important, right? That's how we see life. That's how we understand who we are and why we're here is story. Um, we, that, we, we make sense of our lives through the story that we see ourselves in. And the, the, the Bible is not a collection of rules. It's not a collection of sayings. It's not a collection of right. It's, it's a story from front to beginning. And what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about the story of God. And as I was kind of thinking about this, I was thinking about how much we love stories, and I was thinking about TV shows, okay? And I, I don't really watch TV, but I've followed four TV shows in my life. Two I'm really proud of. One I have an excuse for, and one I'm unbelievably embarrassed about, okay? How many guys have this show that you've watched that you're embarrassed about? Anybody? Do you have some? Okay. Okay, most of you are lying, but we have some honest guys in the group. So I followed these two shows that I'm pretty proud of, uh, 24. Whoever watched 24? Jack Bauer. That's like the manliest show in the world, okay? The second show that I followed was Lost. Whoever watched Lost? It's a pretty cool show. Horrible ending, but great show. Uh, the third one I have an excuse for. Gilmore Girls, okay? I have a wife, all right, um, and, and that's my excuse. So I, I watched Gilmore Girls with her. I enjoyed a couple of episodes, uh, embarrassingly enough, but I watched Gilmore Girls with her. The third one, the fourth one, I have no excuse for, and I'm really embarrassed about, but I'm going to share it with you. Moment of vulnerability. When I was a bachelor, uh, living on my own, I, I, we, we had a group of guys and girls that got together, and the girls made us watch this show <sighs> called Once Upon a Time, okay? Have, has anyone ever heard of that show? Okay, it's, it, it is embarrassing. It's embarrassing for me. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's about fairy tales, okay? It's basically about this town called Storybrook. Get it? Storybook. And, and it's this real-life town, and, and there's this girl, this main character, and she is Snow White, right? 
It's like, that's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. And her mom, is adopted mom, is like the wicked witch. And they don't know this. And through the story, they're beginning to realize it. And there's this alternate universe of this fairy tale world. And they keep jumping in and out of it. And the crazy thing about that story that drew me in was that their life didn't make sense. Okay, it didn't. Until they began to see that there was something else they were a part of. There was this other story that, that gave sense and purpose and meaning to their life. Right? To me, that is a beautiful picture of our life as Christians. You see, there's a lot of people in this world, and, and even a lot of you, that, that grew up like, why am I here? What is, why do I have these, these unsatisfied longings in my heart? Why do I feel like I want purpose and desire and all these things, and I, and I don't know where to get it? It's because you're part of another story. And as Christians, we know that story. We are part of this scheme. We're part of this. There's something out there that we can't see with our eyes. Um, There's a spiritual realm. There's a God who loves people. There's this thing that's been going on since the beginning of time. There's this story that we're caught up in. And and, and so when when I talk about gospel today, which we're going to talk about, it's a buzzword in our culture. And gospel means good news. But actually, I don't know if you knew this. It came from the Old English, good spell. Good spell. The gospel is the good spell. Spell was a story. It was a story that would travel around from place to place. The gospel is the good story of Jesus. It is news, but it's not news like newspaper, news flash, Twitter feed, fake Facebook, right? Fake news, right? It's not that. It's a story. We have good news of a story that helps us make sense of life and that puts meaning to life and that tells us the beginning, the middle, and the end. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning as we talk about mission. So I'm jumping in in the middle of your series on values right now. So you're kind of going through and you're talking about the values of uh, Billingshurst Family Church. And I I love this. I think this is incredibly important. Um, Because if you don't talk about your values, then all there is a poster on the wall, right? Or or a cool thing on the website, right? If you don't embody them, then what's the point of having values if you don't know what they are? So I think it's really important that you talk about them. And, And the value I'm talking about this morning is Billingshurst Family Church is a missional church, okay? How many of you knew that was a value of Billingshurst Family Church? Anyone? Okay, good. Hey, that's, that's helpful. You communicated well. Um, Billingshurst Family Church is a missional church. So before I jump into the Word, I just want us to get on the same page because we use words in our culture, and we want to make sure we're on the same page with this. So we're a family church. By church, what we mean is you are a group of people, a group of Christians, Right? So we're not talking about your website, we're not talking about your building, we're not talking about your leaders, we're not talking about your logo, however cool that might be. Building Service Family Church is a church. You are the church, right? Each one of you are part of this church. So when we say that, we're saying you're, you're a missional group of people. The second thing is missional, right? What, is, what does missional mean? That's a, that's a super huge buzzword in our culture. Missional means you're on a mission, right? It's not, Building Service Family Church doesn't love mission trips, you don't love the word missional. You don't, you don't like being, having a mission, right? You are on a mission. And you're a part of this, this greater mission, this part of the greater story that we're going to talk about this morning. Um, so the, the reason that I think it's important to talk about this is just because you have a value doesn't mean that that value has any bearing on your life, okay? So just by saying, hey, we're a missional church, that doesn't mean that you're missional, right? I have a huge value for being bilingual, Okay? Huge value for being bilingual. I, I think it's really important to be bilingual. What's the problem? I'm not bilingual, okay? <laughs> I, I can't even speak British, okay? I can just speak Southern American. I can't, even, I can't speak any other American accent, just mine, right? And I know a little bit of Spanish, right? But I, I can't speak it. I'm not fluent. I'm not bilingual. I have a huge value for it. The second problem is I'm making no steps towards being bilingual. 
I'm not taking Spanish classes. I'm not taking Italian classes. I'm not taking Chinese classes. I'm taking none, right? No, no steps are being moved towards being bilingual, right? That is a value that I have that I think is really important. I think my daughter should be bilingual. I think my wife, I think everyone should be bilingual. But, right, it's, a, it's kind of a useless value, isn't it, right? My question for you is, 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 your, is you being missional as a church and as an individual, is that kind of like me being bilingual? Is it something that you slap up on the wall and you say, hey, I'm missional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a value for it, but it has no bearing on your life. So in order to see what that means, we're going to look at the words. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 with me this morning. And we're going to jump in and see what does the Bible say about us being on mission. Billingshurst Family Church is a group of Christians who are on a mission. What does the Bible say about that? So let me, let's close our eyes real quick and let me pray before we jump in. Holy Spirit, I need your help this morning. We all do. Um, we need your grace. And, and, and we believe that your word um, does not return void. We believe that your word gives us strength. It speaks into our lives. We believe that it's alive and active. Um, that it pierces our soul and spirit. Um, that, it, that it reveals the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. I pray that this morning as we open your word, Holy Spirit, do heart surgery on us. Expose our intentions, expose our motives, convict us of our sin, but also show us how to live, God. We want to know how to live. We don't want to do what's right in our own eyes. We want to please you. So, Father, I pray that this morning as we open your word together, you speak, Holy Spirit. Please speak to us this morning. Uh, speak through the inadequacies of me, Speak into the distraction of our lives. And I know these people have lives and they have things going on. And I pray that you would speak into that where they are today. We believe you'll do it, God. Come and do it. You know me pray. Amen. So I'm going to read it this morning. It's 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verses 15 through 20. Um, and so actually we're going to start at verse 14 for the love. So slip down to verse 14. And it says this. For the love of Christ, I'm reading from the ESV. For the love of Christ controls us. For we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus has died for us, and so the love of Christ controls us. And Jesus died for all, so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, for Jesus, who for their sake died and was raised. So he, he, he died for us, that we might no longer live for ourselves, but for him. Okay, So keep following. He, he, it's kind of a confusing passage. So from now on, therefore... We regard, we see no, no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Amen. And this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. All right, so here's one of the problems we have right off the bat with, with is this was written a long time ago, and when I read that, I I don't know about you, but when I read that, I'm like so overwhelmed <laughs> by all these words. New creation, reconciled, regard known according to the flesh. What does that mean? Uh, like all these things. So when we just read through sometimes scripture, it can kind of kind of go in one ear and out the other. And it's like, I don't even know it just happened, okay? So what we're going to do is we're just going to walk through this and ask that the Lord speaks to us out of it. So this is a table of contents. I have seven points, okay? <laughs> so I just want to warn you, I'm going to fly through them, all right, as fast as I can. I've got seven points. The, there's two sections. The first section is 
Where does mission flow from? We say we're a missional people. Where does it come from? Where does our mission flow from? And we'll have four things we're going to see from this passage that mission flows from. The second section is, what is our mission? And we're going to see three things in this passage that talk to us about what our mission is. So the first, first thing is this. Mission flows out of the love of Christ. Look at verse 14 with me. For the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ controls us. As Christians, we are controlled by the love of Christ. Okay? We're not controlled by guilt. We're not controlled by fear of hell or fear of disappointing one another or, or fear of, of, of our family's Christian, so I've got to be a Christian. We are controlled by the love of Christ. We're not controlled by coming here and trying to be all perfect and all good. We're not controlled by making tick marks on our Bible study chart. We're not controlled about how many times we can share the gospel a week. We are controlled by the love of Christ because we have concluded that Christ has died for us. That the God of the universe loved you so much that he died for you. Let's regain the, the, the beauty of the gospel. We need to be controlled by the love of Christ. So the first question that the Holy Spirit, this, this passage is asking us this morning is, does the love of Christ control you? I believe that if you're a Christian, it did at one point. But just because it did at one point doesn't mean it still does. So right now in your life, in your day-to-day life, is the love of Christ still controlling you? Or have you allowed something else to come in and begin controlling you? Right? We can't get this mission thing right unless we have the right motivation. And God cares about our hearts. Right? Does the love of Christ control you? Are you compelled by the gospel, by the love of Jesus for you? So that's the first question we have this morning. We have experienced and tasted and seen and known and encountered the love of an amazing God. Let that flow, let mission flow out of that love. Let's look at the second thing. Verse 15. And Jesus died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him. Okay, let me, let me say that again. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him. This is an interesting phrase, okay? The, the word might, I'm in a zone, it's really subtle, the word might. They might no longer live for themselves. There's two things we can pull from that, okay? It's, he didn't say they will, right? Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're not living for yourself. You can be a Christian and still be living for yourself. Might is a, is a voluntary word, Okay? So just as much as you can not have the love of Christ control you, you can still be living for yourself as a Christian, right? Just because you come to BFC on Sunday or do a life group or, 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 or sing worship songs or pray doesn't mean that you're living for Jesus, all right? But the second thing is this. Might is a, is a word of excitement. It's a word of desire. We might. Like, you get to no longer live for yourself but for God. And this is really important because I think sometimes when we offer the gospel to the world, we're not very excited about it. We don't really believe it for ourselves. We, we, we think, oh, this isn't that much better. Actually, that guy with the big house and the snazzy car down the road, that's good. That's what I want. And we begin living for the same things this world is living for. We forget that, that actually it's better. It is better to walk with Jesus. It is better to, be, to live a life worshiping God. It is better to be heading towards heaven. It is better to know God. That is better right? And if you don't know that, you're not going to have a message to speak to the depressed person down the road. If you don't believe that walking with God is better, then you're not going to have something for the anxious person. You're not going to have something for the wealthy person. You're not going to have something for the workaholic who's, who's just consumed with his work. You're not going to have a message for them. It is better 
to follow Jesus than it is to follow ourselves. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that this morning? You have, you have water to quench thirsty souls. You have food for the hungry. You have a purpose for the purposeless. You have joy for the depressed. You have peace for the anxious heart. Do you believe that walking with Jesus is better? The third thing is this. Look at verse 16. It says, we no longer regard anyone according to the flesh anymore. Okay, that's a weird, weird word, right? We don't talk like that anymore. We no longer regard anyone according to the flesh anymore. What does that mean? It means this, that, that when we see other people, when we see other people, we don't look at them and see, okay, six foot two white dude, right? Or we, we don't see, okay, this is, this is a lady and she's, she's a mom and she's got three kids, right? We don't see, we don't see, oh, you're, we, don't, we don't see, oh, you've got a job, you, you're, you, you sell insurance. So we don't, we don't see what's on the outside anymore. We don't regard people that way any longer, right? We've been saved. We've been shown this greater story. We've been shown that there's a God and we're people and we've, we've come from somewhere and we're going somewhere. And we look at people and we see souls, right? If you, if you don't get that, then mission won't make any sense. Mission won't make any sense if we don't get that people are souls, that I'm a soul, that you're a soul, that the person we pass on the street has dignity because they're a child of God and God wants them back, right? We're going to show honor to the person sitting on the street begging for food. It defines how you look at them. You don't look at them as, oh, that's a person that didn't work very hard, or oh, that's a person that had bad circumstances. That's a soul that God loves and he wants to encounter them with his love. Do you see people like that? Do I see people like that? No, I don't, and I want to, and I long to. We need to, we need to return to this because mission flows out of seeing other people as souls, seeing people with dignity and honor. Do you, treat, do you treat your coworkers like that? Do you treat your boss like that? Do you treat people in other cultures and other countries like that? Do you treat the driver that, that cuts you off on the road like that? Do you, do you treat your neighbor, right, who, who won't cut his tree? Like, what, what is it? Who Are you treating people as souls with dignity and honor? right? Flows from that. The fourth thing that we see that mission flows from is being changed yourself. Look at verse 17 and 18. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Ministry flows from being changed yourself. All right, so I sold life insurance for two years, okay? I hated it. Oh, it was miserable. I didn't like it at all, okay? Um, but sorry if you sell life insurance. I just personally didn't like it. And one of the reasons I didn't like it is I didn't believe in it, okay? I believe in it now. I have a family, kids. But at the time, I didn't believe in it. And my boss wanted me to sell whole life insurance, okay? That was the goal. He wanted me to sell that policy. And what was the problem? The problem is I didn't have one. I didn't have a whole life insurance policy. And there was no way I could get on the phone with someone and sell them something I didn't have with a genuine heart. And so this is, this is, what my, this is crazy. Okay, how many of you know how expensive whole life insurance policies are? Anybody? My boss, my boss wanted me to sell it so bad that he said, Coleman, guess what? I'm going to buy you a whole life insurance policy, and I'm going to pay the premium so that you can sell this policy. Right? He believed so much that in order for me to sell something, I had to have it. I had to be experiencing the benefits from it in order for me to be able to, to tell other people about it with, with a genuine heart without being manipulative. I think in the same way, for us as Christians, 
We could feel like, Paul says, I'm not a peddler of God's word. I'm not, I'm not just an, a, a door-knocking salesman, uh, you know, who's got some slick lines, right? That's not us. You're a people who have been changed by Jesus, amen, right? And whether that happened a year ago, 10 years ago, or when you were three years old and you were praying with your mom and dad, that happened, right? And you're a new creation. Do you have a rolling testimony, what do I mean by that? I, I'm not saying you, your testimony isn't just what happened 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Do you have a testimony of continually encountering new life in Jesus? Are you daily drinking of his new life? Are you daily encountering God? And you have a rolling testimony of what God's done in your life this week. Are you able to tell me, if I asked you, hey, what has God done in your life this week? And you're like, well, God did. Th-. Are you able to tell me anything? Are you experiencing the Lord on a week-to-week basis? Are, do you know the benefits and the joys of being a new creation in Christ? You see, if we don't, we're going to be like Coleman Collins trying to sell life insurance and he doesn't have any, right? Um, that, that's what we'll be like. So are you experiencing the love of Christ? That's what mission flows from. So, it's interesting, so these four things I just listed, it's really concerning that if you look, the four things that we hear from our culture, I don't know about here, but in America, that I hear from our culture about Christians is that we're unloving, okay? That's the first one. The second one is that Christians are just as miserable as I am, okay? Hear that a lot. You look just as depressed, if not more than me. Um, the Christians are judgmental, okay? Um, and the fourth one is that Christians are hypocrites, all right? Those four things are the four things I hear about Christians, all right? The sad thing is, it's mostly true, all right? Um, and, and we need to redeem that, all right? Because that's, that's not, but what's interesting is, is those four things are in direct conflict with what Paul just told us that mission flows from. It's not surprising that the church today isn't a very missional church because we don't have these four things in place. The world says we're unloving. Christ just called us to be controlled by the love of Christ. The world says, you're just as miserable as me. He just said, you might no longer, you get to live for God. This is joyful. Are you living that way? The world says, you're judgmental. Paul says, don't regard anyone according to the flesh. People are souls. What are you doing judging your brother? What are you doing judging that person? What, what What in the world are you doing? Let's redeem that. The world says, Christians are hypocrites, right? We say that, we, we live this way, but we really don't. Have you been changed? Are we, are we renewing our lives day by day? That's where mission is going to flow out of. So what is our mission? What is our mission? We got three points on this. The first thing is verse 18 and 19, that we find our mission in the mission of God. This is super important. If, if you take nothing else away from this, take this away. Um, it, we find our mission in the mission of God. Okay? Verse 18 and 19 says this. Let's just look at 19. So God gave us the ministry of reconciliation, and then it has a semicolon there, and he's about to define what is that ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself and not counting their trespasses against them. Okay? Let me say that again. This is our ministry. This is our mission. This is our mission statement. This is what we do as Christians. God was reconciling the world to himself and not counting their trespasses against them. That's weird, okay? He, he just said, your mission is that God's doing something. Did y'all follow that? He said, he's given you this ministry. God's doing something. That doesn't make any sense. What, how, do, how do we make sense of that? Listen, your mission isn't that you're going out to change hearts. Your mission isn't that you somehow are, are the savior of the world coming to your neighborhood to change everyone's life, right? That's God's job, right? You, that's not your job. So what, what is God's mission? What is God's mission? This is the story. This is where the story comes in. You see, at the very beginning, 
God made a good world, didn't he? God made, in six days, he made a, he made a wonderful world. And whether you believe in, in a day as an age or a day as a day, I don't care. But God created a world that was good. And he made it, and he said, this is good. And then he made man, and he said, that's very good, because that's in his image. And he created this world that was pleasing to him, that was good. And, and people found purpose and joy and life in that world. And God was not on mission, okay? God wasn't on mission. Things were good. He said, very good. He had this relationship with man. He gave us purpose. He gave us work to do. He gave us family to have. He gave us, we were his, his stewards to take care of creation, right? We just had this beautiful purpose, which by the way is still our purpose. We have this beautiful purpose. And then Satan comes and he tempts man and Adam and Eve fall away and sin enters the world. That's when mission entered. That's when mission came in and that's when God went on mission. God went on mission when man fell away from God's perfect world and God's perfect, perfect purposes. And God's mission was this, that he was reconciling the world to himself. The second Adam and Eve fell, the next thing you see is God in the garden. The next thing you see is a God coming down to his children. He's walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the next thing you see is God inviting. Where are you? Adam and Eve, where are you? They're hiding, right? Because they're saying, where are you? He's inviting. He's calling. He's wooing them out. The next thing you see is God asking questions. God getting to the heart. Why did you do this? Why did you fall away? And then the next thing you see is God forgiving, right? They, they sinned. They broke it. They messed it up. And then God kills an animal and clothes them in the skin and he reinstates relationship with them. That's your God. And that's the God, that's the God that got on mission in the garden and that's the same God that's on mission today. That's what God's doing. That's what God's up to. God is a pursuing God. God is an inviting God. God is a wooing God. God is a forgiving God. That's our God. He's on mission. We can only find purpose in our life and mission if we know God's mission, right? We aren't the pursuers, Right? God's the pursuer. We, God's the inviter. He's inviting people to himself. He longs for every person to come to a knowledge of him, right? That's our God. If you, if you feel like you're a renegade soldier out on the battlefield, you're not going to make sense of this life. If you feel like God's just arbitrarily told you to go share the gospel with people, you're not going to make sense of it. But if you get that God is on mission, and therefore you are on mission, all of a sudden life begins to make sense, and it begins to have purpose. The second thing is this. Our mission is to bear the invitation. So uh, look at the end of verse 19. So God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. This is so important. All you are is an invitation bearer. That's all you are, right? I just said, you're not a life changer. You're not God's gift to the world, right? You're an, you're an invitation bearer. The most important, it's really good, okay, I think, I think in our culture, our Christian culture, we have begun to redeem uh, the kingdom of God. We've begun to redeem uh, the like caring for the environment, which I think is really important. We've begun to redeem the workplace, right? We've begun to say, hey, there's purpose in your work, and that's true. We've begun to redeem the family. Hey, dads need to, need to come home and be fathers to your children. We've begun to redeem all these wonderful things about why God made us. But I think we can forget in that that the most important thing, the life-changing thing is the message, right? People, you can, you can get people off of drugs, you can get them out of addiction, you get them a good family life, you can give them purpose in their work, but if they don't know Jesus, if they don't know Jesus, they're still separated from the most important thing in their life. They've still got this emptiness inside of them that will never be satisfied. We need to remember that the message of the gospel is the thing. It, we, need to, we need to remember that that's the most important thing, right? It's not just that you're a nice person, 
that, that you're someone your neighbors think, that's a good guy. And he goes to Billingshurst Family Church. That's a good church, right? That's, that's good. That's good. But if they never hear the message of the gospel, they don't hear about a God that's pursuing them and loving them and bringing them back into relationship, that, that's not going to make any difference in their life. You being a nice person isn't going to matter, right? So we are invitation bearers. We're invitation bearers. Let me give you an example. Let's say you hear a knock on your door one day, okay? Knock, knock, knock. And you open the door, and you see a funny-looking guy there, okay? And he's got a white wig, uh, funny red trousers, a big hat, um, and, a, and a funny wing-tailed vest on, right? And he's got a big scroll, and he opens it up, right? And you're like, this guy's strange. And you think about slamming the door in his face, like, let's hear what he has to say. And he <clears throat> clears his throat, and he, and he reads to you an invitation from the queen, right? And he, and he says, you are invited to come dine with the queen and with a special group of people. This is an invitation to you, right? Okay, that that. The funny-looking guy with the wig and the trousers, that's you, okay? You're the invitation bearers, right? That's us, right? We're funny-looking, right? People look at us, and they think, you're Christians. You're different, right? You can't just slip under the radar, okay? Not in this culture. I can in the South, in America, okay? Everyone looks like a Christian. But over here, you don't. You're different. And people notice it. And they expect you to bring an invitation. They expect you to have something to say to them, right? If the funny-looking guy in trousers knocked on your door, right, the funny wig, and you said, hey, how's it going? And he said, hey, just coming over to have dinner, right? It's like, okay. And you, he comes in, and then he, but he never tells you any sort of invitation, right? That's cool, and that's good, but you're kind of weirded out, right? It's like, don't you have something to say to me? Like, why are you here? Why are you dressed like that? What's going on here? Don't you have something purposeful to say? People want to be invited. There's a crazy statistic in America, and I think it's similar over here from studies done, is that 60% of people have a, that aren't Christians have a, um, have a friend that's a Christian. And, and, a, and 70%, that's 60, okay? So these people that have a friend that's a Christian want that friend to tell them about Jesus. 70%, right? All your friends that you think they don't want me to say a word about Jesus— most likely they do, all right? Most likely they want you because you're funny looking, right? You've got curly hair and trousers. They want you to say, hey, let me just tell you about Jesus. They're expecting it. And it's weird when you don't, all right? There's weird when we don't give a defense and an explanation for why we're so weird. Why, why we don't seem to care about money the way they do. Why we don't seem to want the nice, next nicest car and the next biggest house. And why we don't take the extravagant vacations. And why we didn't take that, that promotion in another city because we wanted to be here. Why, why we moved to this new city to be part of this church. What, why do you spend so much time at church? Why, right? You're funny. You're weird, okay? People want an explanation. Are you giving it to them? Okay, I'm all about relational evangelism, but Usually, that's just relational. We usually don't end up sharing the gospel, right? We get scared. People, people need this thing. They need Jesus. They need to be reconciled. Are you doing it? Are you bringing them back to Jesus? Your mission and my mission is to tell orphans about their father. It's to tell hungry people about food. It's to tell depressed people where to find joy. It's to tell people who are empty how to be filled up, Right? It's, it's to tell people without purpose their purpose, right? We, we have a purposeless millennial generation, and they need a purpose. I need a purpose. I'm millennial, right? I need purpose, right? We need pur- Are you telling people about the purpose? We're showing the lost and confused the way. Got seven more minutes, okay? I know I'm long, but I got seven more minutes. Um, one more point, okay? So um, this, is, this is fair warning. Um, so I apologize, uh, but, but I'm almost there. And this is, I just want to put wheels on it real quick, and then we'll move into response. Is that okay? Okay. Um, so verse 20 says this, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. 
real quick. I think sometimes we talk about all these good spiritual theological things, but we don't put any wheels on it. And it's like, what does that have to do with my life? Okay. We are ambassadors for Christ. What does an ambassador do? They live normal life in another country to represent their king, right? They live normal life. You're an ambassador for Christ, right? You're, you're, I'm not telling you that now you need to quit your job and go be a street evangelist. I'm not telling you that at your workplace, you need to find every little loophole to share the gospel. I'm telling you, you need to work hard at your workplace. You need to be all there. You need to be fully there. You need to work hard at your family. You need to work hard in your neighborhood. You need to take care of your, you need to do the things normal people do. Be who you were created to be and be an ambassador and be an ambassador, right? An ambassador lives their normal life while they are also a representative of the king. One last example. I'm a millennial, as I already said, and we love remodeling, okay? Um, we, that's why the most popular shows on TV right now are remodeling shows. Fixer Upper, I don't know if y'all have heard of that show. Chip and Joanna Gaines, they're like the millennial's dream, okay? And so when a millennial walks into a house they're ready to buy, I can tell you exactly what they're saying. They're saying open floor plan, plenty of natural light, granite countertops, white walls, shiplap. Every single millennial wants it, right? And when they're walking through the house, they're looking at the bathroom, like, we're going to remodel that. You know, it's going to be better. And they're looking at the we're going to remodel that. We're going to remodel that. We're, and then pretty soon, they don't realize, but they've just talked about 100,000 pounds worth of remodeling they're going to do. And every millennial husband thinks he can remodel his house, right? And every millennial wife is just shaking your head, okay? Um, and and she, all she wants to do is throw some paint on the walls, okay? I know that's a generalization. I apologize if I offended you. But um, that, that's generally, that's what happened with me and my wife, right? Is I was talking about redoing the bathroom, redoing the other bathroom, redoing the kitchen, redoing the deck, redoing the shed. I've talked about redoing everything. You know what I've done? Painted the walls. That is it. That is all I've done, right? Um, I didn't do any of it, right? Uh, but, but I have friends that did, Okay? And they're like five years in, and they're only one room in, and they're living in this permanent remodel place. What? They're going to work. They're, they're changing nappies. <laughs> they're eating dinner. They're having friends over. They're doing things on the weekend. But also, there's this very real sense where you walk in their house, and you're like, they have something else going on, right? They've got this remodel work that is in their face constantly, and they're also doing that. That's a part of it. They're living normal life. They're eating, drinking, breathing, going to sleep. They're doing all the things normal people do, but they've also got this constant thing in their life where they're striving for something. They're, they're fighting for something. I want you, and I want us to think about mission as a house remodel that unfortunately has gone the rest of your life, okay, is, is while you're living normal life, you're also on mission. While you're at your workplace, you're also on mission. While you're, while you're at the playground with your kids, you're also on mission. While you're eating dinner, you're also on mission. How do you invite people into that life? How are you an invitation bearer in the course of normal life? How, how do we do that in the course of normal life? I, I'm not going to give you instructions on that. I think you can figure it out, right? It's pretty easy to give people an invitation, okay? You just got to do it. We got to get over ourselves and begin to do it. Will you do that? Will you honor the Lord and be on mission? Let me pray for us. God, I thank you so much that you have saved me, um, God. And I confess that I, I am not the invitation bearer I should be. Um, and, and Lord, I long to be that. Lord, I pray for Building Search Family Church that they would be known in this village as a people who have been changed. God, they wouldn't be known as judgmental, unloving, miserable hypocrites. God, they would be known as this loving, generous, honoring, real group of people that is bearing the invitation of Jesus to their world. God, let that be, let that be the case in our lives. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Coleman.